0: Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of PageCraft Writing. Each week we bring you a guest worth listening to. I'm so tired of arguing. Everything on social media seems designed for one bubble or another, We can all see how polarized we've gotten. I am sure I'm not alone, that I have family members that I just know I can't talk to beyond a hello. I'm concerned, and I don't see a way out of this, certainly not by doing more of what we're doing. So I wanted to talk to Heidi Harris. She has over 20 years of experience in communications, HR, and employee and leadership development. Heidi has a master's degree in applied behavioral science. She basically works to help people be better at communicating in their work environments so that companies work better. She can help us understand why we react the way we do so that we communicate better too. Maybe she can help us write better characters. A note to listeners, the Wi-Fi was choppy
1: tonight, so bear
0: with us. What got you interested in doing this?
1: So it's, uh, I was thinking uh, of where this interest came from and I think I was exposed, I started getting exposed to some psychological concepts actually somewhat young because uh, we had some addiction in my family and when I was 13, we all sort of went into family therapy of sorts um, where I learned about family systems and I learned about the idea that we all play a role in the systems that we're a part of and they're all connected and there's dynamics that take place. all of those circumstances and I remember even at 13 um, being really in some of those concepts so I think that was my introduction to it and my exposure continued I had a really unique experience in my teens and early 20s um, at a summer camp program called Concordia Language Villages and it was a foreign language immersion program where we were there to learn language culture learn about the food it really was an immersive immersive experience but one of the core messages of that program was um how are we understanding others that it's very easy to look through our own lens at other people other cultures and have judgments because they may be doing things or believing in things that are different from our own beliefs So it was a really eye-opening experience for me at a young age to connect to that idea of understanding others from their lens and their point of view and their experience. Um, One of the activities that we did every summer is we would reenact the French Revolution. (laughs) And (laughs) because I was at French camp. So uh, we would take a day and reflect on Bastille Day, which was the day that kicked off the whole French Revolution. And we would separate the kids into different class structures, smaller group royals. Um, We had a middle class that was slightly larger and the bulk of the kids were in the lower class. Um, The lower class had stale bread for breakfast and smaller portions. And, you know, the upper class in the scenario got these robust, beautiful meals with fresh bread right out of the oven. And so we, went through these activities throughout the day to illustrate what that experience might have been like. And it was really fascinating how even in a simulated exercise, people got fired up. (laughs) The the upper class people became very entitled and um, the lower class people got angrier and angrier. And by the end of the day, when we debriefed the activity, there was real frustration, real anger, real emotion around that experience. Wow. Um, it was really fascinating. And at the end of the summer, they would have international day where all the different language camps came together. We would learn about each other's food, culture, um, learn dances, songs, do art, um, together. And then we'd all come together and do a dance and a song at the end of the day that we had all learned with that message of, we are all different and we can also come together with that understanding.
0: So, appreciating differences. So,
1: that was, yeah, appreciating differences for sure. Um, I started my career in public relations, as you mentioned. I was in PR for about 10 years. And that was interesting, I think, um, especially as we think about the idea of writing, which I know is a lot of your audience. The idea of can we understand our audience to the degree that when we are writing or when we're communicating, Can we communicate in a way that will resonate with them, with what they care about, with what they're passionate about? Can it um, challenge them in a way based on where the perspective that they're coming from? I think all of this just continued to build as I thought about how are we understanding ourselves and each other as human beings? And what is that experience really like? And how can we deepen that? So finally got my master's in organizational development um, and applied behavioral science and switched gears. Um, My focus shifted into employee development, leadership development, human resources, really looking in organizations at that lens of how does that system functioning in an organization? How is it functioning in a healthy way or not so healthy way? And how can we make the system better? How can we help the people be better? Um, so that's really the work I've been doing for the last 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Cause it was like I would think that oh not not that you look at everything as the French Revolution now, but like looking at like, you know, it's very understandable the people who feel themselves at the bottom and unheard could get really angry and you know, then they're not yeah. going to be doing their best work for a company or, you know, they're not gonna be happy with whatever system they're in, whether it's a family. Or a community. So
1: yeah, it's fascinating because I think the when you look at a system, an intact system, community, organization, nonprofit, um, often the people who are in the lower levels don't feel heard. But the people in the senior level, senior levels also don't feel heard. Interesting a different dynamic and there's different levels of authority within that there's different levels of power within that so understanding all of those dynamics that are present in our relationships and all of the systems that we're a part of is is really helpful
0: yeah why i'm curious about like why would the people at the upper levels not feel heard
1: Mm -hmm. like it
0: it follows logic that the ones at the lower levels okay i could see that but what what's missing that the upper levels aren't feeling heard
1: yeah it's uh Having been in management myself too, there've been, and also in communications, there are a lot of times that we communicate something out, ask people to do something. We think it's important. (laughs) There's a reason that we're asking people to do a certain thing. We try to explain why it's important, but if it's not resonating with the people who are hearing the message, why would they make that a priority? Mm -hmm. So So it's about
0: effective communication.
1: I think it's about effective communication, but I think there's, it comes back to your original point around how are we also connecting as human beings? And how are we hearing each other? Because if, if I'm a junior level employee in an organization, and I don't believe that my cares about me cares about the value I have to provide, maybe isn't seeing me and the impact I'm trying to have in the organization. Um, it's easy to build resentment, it's easy to feel unappreciated, undervalued. And therefore, why would I? Why would I do what you're asking me to do if I can get away with not doing
2: it? (laughs) Right, right. So there's
1: dynamics that ensue in that.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine the challenge for any senior management is to notice those dynamics and diffuse them in
1: a timely manner. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I think communication can be a bit of a band-aid sometimes. Well, we sent an email out. Why is it not different? And there's so much more to us as human beings and within systems. We're so complicated, really, as human beings. And so that idea of really getting to the root of what is behind the resistance or what is behind the lack of engagement, Mm. how do we understand that root issue that's actually creating behavior that's not helpful in the organization?
0: So what are some of the things that you do to help that? Like, how do we how do we get to the root?
1: As you said, I've been thinking a lot and noticing a lot about just our society and the degree of polarization that seems to be present. I think especially in politics is where I first was noticing it and suddenly I started um my my observation was it seems to be more about winning and making the other side, whoever that is, look bad or making them wrong instead of thinking about hey, we have different perspectives Is there a way we can share those perspectives, hear each other out, understand where each other's coming from, and collaborate to find the best solution we can for whatever problem it is we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And I think that can happen in organizations sometimes too, where there's that dilemma of we're in different camps here. How do we bring those different camps together? How do we solve that gap that might exist?
0: Yeah. And I I would imagine, like for me, I think a lot of it is fear-based. Where like, you know, I have people who I don't disagree, who I don't agree with on various topics. And yet there's this sort of like, don't rock the boat thing happening. And I'm like, well, if I bring that up, I don't know that I'm going to be able to communicate powerfully. And there it will be upset and then I'll be upset and then it'll just evolve into an argument. So better not to bring it up. And yeah. that's like, like, I don't trust myself somehow, or I don't trust them to like hear me or listen Or like, I'm not gonna be able to control my own emotions if I really hear them or open the door for them. And like, it's kind of a weird mix of just like fear.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going to share something really quick, because I think this could be an interesting perspective. So this is a a model that I've used a lot in organizations. Um, I don't know if anyone else is familiar with Patrick Lincioni, but he is a well-known leadership organizational um, expert who's written a lot of books. Five Dysfunctions of a Team is one of his most well-known. And this is the model that he created to look at what is required in order for a leadership team to be effective. And I think this applies universally in a lot of ways, even in one-on-one communication. (laughs) Um, If there isn't trust then it's very difficult to engage in productive or healthy conflict. So building trust is part of it. And I think to your point, we struggle sometimes as people to have productive conflict. And if we don't trust ourselves and our ability to be able to, to share our perspective without blame or judgment on the other person, but just own, this is my experience, and this is where I'm coming from. And now I would like to hear where you're coming from. And I want to be open to him and listening to it and really trying to understand it. Even if I disagree, that kind of engagement is hard for a lot of people. Very hard. Yeah. And if there isn't trust, it's very difficult to get to that next level of healthy conflict. You have to have trust.
0: Yeah. I'm hard. just thinking of in my own life of examples of times I thought, well, if I just share what I'm thinking and that it'll be good. And then it like, it doesn't go that way. Like it very quickly yeah. just brings up the upset instead of actually listening happening. And it's really frustrating. Uh,
1: this is a lot about that because I struggle with these things too. You know, I'm always trying to practice how am I showing up, especially in emotional circumstances or discussions. Mm. Uh, my husband might say sometimes that better sometimes than others. Uh, (laughs) But I would say that what I'm learning and starting to believe is when we are in a conversation with someone else and there are differing opinions and we really want to be seen and heard and acknowledged in that moment, it's often when we most need to listen, Mm. which is really hard to do. When we are committed to our perspective and I'm right, and my truth is the truth with a capital T, and you need to hear it, (laughs) that is when we most need to take a breath and ask the other person about their experience. Because I think what's interesting about one of the commonalities for us as human beings is we wanna be seen and heard, we wanna be acknowledged. We want to feel like people understand us and where we're coming from, even if they don't agree. But if you have two people trying to have a conversation and both of them want to be seen and heard, what happens in that situation?
0: Yeah, it's a lot of one-upsmanship, I would imagine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about that analogy of a tennis match. You know, Mm. if I want to be seen and heard, I'm going to serve the ball and then you're going to ignore my ball and serve your own ball. And we're just going to go back and forth. (laughs) And in order to stop that game, somebody has to stop and choose to listen and hear the other side and be open to it. That does not mean you have to agree. I've had a lot of conversations with leaders. Um, Acknowledgement and agreement are not the same thing, Mm. but is there a way in which you can acknowledge someone else's experience and their perspective and really empathize and understand with where they're coming from and what what is it really like to be them and their experience and still hold on to the fact that I still think you're full of BS.
0: That's the key, I think, because when as you're saying that, like what comes up for me is like, oh my God, they're going to think I agree with them and that's going to undermine my position and my belief in that conversation. So I'm like, oh no, but just saying like, What's it like for you? And then what, I understand that's how you feel and I I have a different understanding or like, what do you say? What's the next piece? Um,
1: I think that the, there are different ways I think you can communicate that and say that. But I think one of the most effective tools I find when I'm wanting to be defensive and wanting to react emotionally to what someone else is saying is to reflect back what I'm hearing in my, my own words. And be able to say to someone, wow, this is what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing that you're feeling this way because this is your experience and this is what you think about that. And this is how you feel about that and what you're struggling with. I can see where you're coming from. I can see why you feel that way and why you're struggling. And, you know, I'm having a bit of a different experience. And I'm happy to share where I'm coming from if you're interested in that. But we, yes. have to let, we have to let go sometimes of our need to put it out there. I see, you know, you mentioned earlier, especially on social media, man, I see some just kind of mean, insulting things on social media, which I do believe for a lot of people is coming from a place of anger, fear. People are processing a lot right now that they're not quite sure what to deal with. We're dealing with a time that most of us, our brains are sending us emotions because it they're we're, our brains are constantly processing what's happening around us because they're trying to make sense of what's what's happening in the world. Our brains are trying to help us make meaning out of what we're experiencing. I I think many of us our brains are short-circuiting a little bit cuz they're not quite sure how to make meaning of what's happening mm-hmm. right now. So all we're left with is our emotional reactions. Yes. And if we're acting out of our emotions, that's different than being able to say, wow, I'm in tune with my experience, how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking about, what I'm wanting or needing in the situation, and I'm going to own that experience and be open to what your experience might be like, because it could be similar and it could be different. And can we just have that conversation?
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, I, have as you know, I've done a bunch of my, you know, training of uh, communication trainings and stuff. And like, that's one of the, one of the principles that I've, that I know intellectually is uh, you can either be right or you can have love, which is something I saw reflected in, in your most recent essay. And I was like, oh yeah, I, that's right. I know that. <laughs> and I'm still posting things that are like, those people are idiots. We're the ones that are right. And it's just like, whoo, it's right. really a challenge to let go of knowing, you know, of of that need to be right. And just like yeah. associate oneself with the, the correct tribe or the people on the right side of history, or, you know, even right. the person on the right side of an issue in a relationship, of personal relationship. So right. it's like being willing to take a breath and put down that armor for a second is sort of terrifying. I think, especially right now when it's like, but don't we need to be armored against this invisible foe that might kill us all right now? So it's, I think it feels especially challenging.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we want to be right in some ways because that's valid. It it gives us more concreteness Mm -hmm. when we're living in a time where we're, we've, we have a loss of control. Like there's, there's a lot we can't control right now. There's a lot in life we can't control in general. And yet many of us are still always trying to figure out how to control what's happening around us. And it's right. sort of a myth that we can actually do that, but it makes us feel better. Um, I, one of my teachers and grad school like, well, what's wrong? So you're uncomfortable. What's wrong with being uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's uncomfortable. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be uncomfortable. Right. Yeah.
0: It's like, if we can get to the point of like, that's life, just get comfort, comfortable with the discomfort. Yeah, so
1: we're in a really uh, unusual time. And I think it's so normal that people are more are fearful and are Mm -hmm. more reactive and are lashing out a little bit. Um, And (laughs) it's in those times that it's most important for us to be able to look at ourselves and understand what is going on for me And what do I need to do to manage whatever's happening for me so that I can show up in the world and show up in relationships the way I want to? It's about choice, really. Because if we're not aware of what's happening for ourselves, it's more likely that we are acting out of our emotions and we're reacting and we're responding in ways that are not aware of the broader impact we might be having on us. So if we can be more aware of ourselves and figure out how to manage what we need for ourselves, then we can make a choice about how we show up in relationship, how we show up in the world.
0: What are some, like, what are some things we can put into practice? I have two questions to ask you. I have a note saying albatross, and then I, and then I have a note about, um, actually practicing stuff. So what would you like to address first? Yeah.
1: So um, Albert's Cross is an interesting one. That was another activity, actually, that we did at my camp when I was a kid growing up that I think was part of my enlightenment around understanding others. Uh, it's a really fascinating, again, simulated, facilitated type of activity. But what would happen for the kids who are at camp is... The counselors would basically come into the room as a different culture called albatross. Um, They didn't speak English. They just communicated through noises, clicks and hisses and different kinds of noises. And they would put on um, a demonstration of a typical cultural behavior in that community of albatross. So the kids would observe this activity and then during the debrief we would say so what did you observe and they would talk about well it looked like women were subservient to men because the women were sitting on the floor and the men were sitting in chairs and we would talk through all of these observations about what they saw the meaning they took away then we would reveal what was actually happening so for example the women were sitting on the ground because they, this culture cared a lot about Mother Earth and were very connected to the planet. So it was actually more highly esteemed for women to be sitting on the ground and be closer to the Earth, whereas the men were not seen that way, so they were in chairs. <laughs> so it really uh, challenged how are our assumptions yeah. based on our observations.
0: Yeah. I love that. There's like, that's what we, what I, in my training, it's there's what happened and then there's what you made it mean. And they're often two very different things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think along those lines, it's kind of a good segue to a couple of things I wanted to share of how do we practice this? And I do like to refer to these concepts as, as practice. Um, it's not like you suddenly become emotionally intelligent And you get a certificate and you're done. That's not really how it works. Damn it. (laughs) I know. So frustrating.
0: I just really wanted to check that box off.
1: (laughs) It takes practice. I mean, I've been studying and practicing these concepts and skills for over 10 years now. And when I am under stress and under more extreme stress, I get worse at practicing some Mm -hmm. of these skills. Mm -hmm. So um, it just takes intention. It takes intention and it takes being mindful of how we're showing up. So I wanted to talk about this concept because I think it helps people understand the neurological process, the brain process that we're going through when emotional or emotional triggers. So this is called the ladder of inference. It was created by an organizational expert called Chris. His name is Chris Ardris. And the idea of the ladder of inference is we are observing data constantly. Mm. We are really bombarded by data every minute of every day. What we're thinking, feeling, seeing, tasting, smelling, reading, processing, and process all of that data that's coming at us. So it starts selecting data to pay attention to. And it selects data to pay attention to based on our own life experiences, our mental models, our family histories, our culture, our upbringing, the part of the country, the part of the world we grew up in, all feeds into the data that our brains start paying attention to because they're, it's trying to make meaning of what's happening around us. Out of that selection of data, we start making assumptions. That's part of that making meaning process that our brains mm. are trying to help us go through. Sure. So, hey, I noticed this. And this is what I'm assuming that means based on my lens.
0: Yeah. This is why the women are sitting on the floor.
1: We then start forming beliefs based on those assumptions. And once we form a belief, this self-sealing loop kicks in where we then start actually seeking data to support our belief. Mm. So I've noticed something. I'm assuming this is what's true about it. I am now believing that it is the truth that what I've seen and observed is the truth with a capital T. And now, oh, oh did you see it again? Yeah. When you when you hear yourself saying things like that, person always does this. Mm-hmm. Every time that person's late, every time that's a self sealing loop. From this place is often where we take action. So this is an emotional trigger. Um, I'll think about like an example. A current example might be: uh, Let's say that you're at a store and you're wearing a mask, and you see someone who isn't. You might start noticing all the people who don't have masks on, because for you, that's data that's
2: concerned
1: about some kind of emotion, emotional attachment to. So you start assuming that these people um, either don't understand why they should be wearing a mask, or are stupid because they're not wearing masks, let's just say. You're making assumptions. They don't care about other people. They're not trying to protect people. They don't care about the broader community that we live in. And maybe you start forming a a belief. They are awful people. And then the next time you see someone without a mask, you're like, aha, you again, selfish person. So selfish. I'm sure a lot of people have that. We have these internal processes happening all the time and it's totally normal to go through this cycle. This is a normal neurological reaction. The difference is what choice you want to make based on that reaction. If you notice that you're forming a belief that's based on assumptions, that's based on a limited set of data, because it's really only you've come to this conclusion through your own lens of experience the choice is yours around what action you want to take. You could confront the person and say, what the hell is wrong with you? You obviously don't care about anyone else in the store right now because you're not wearing a mask. You could say that. Um, Some people I've heard, some people say that (laughs) out in public.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Or you could make a different choice. You could notice that this is where the ladder has taken you and You could have a different kind of conversation. Maybe something along the lines of, hey, I I just noticed that you don't have a mask on and I am just interested in that. I'm interested in that. I'm curious about it. Personally, I I feel really concerned about it. And here's why I feel concerned about it. This is my experience. I'm curious about your experience. Yes, most people are not going to have
0: that conversation. Right? Yes, and that's (laughs) the thing is like there's 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 subtleties there, and I've thought that too. It's like, well, I'm not going to be the jerk that yells at someone, but I am curious. But then I also have this assumption that if I approach them, no matter how disarming and open and curious I, the form the manner in which I present myself, they are going to be like, everyone keeps attacking me for not wearing a mask. Here comes this lady. I bet she's attacking me and right. then it's like, oh, they're only it's never it's not gonna go well. But I am curious sometimes when I'm out there and I'm just like, yeah. you know, they've got their reasons and um
1: Yeah. Yeah the cycle perpet the cycle perpetuates. Yeah then
0: there's layers.
1: And I, I get that question a lot. Yeah, oh gosh, we're so complex as human beings. So many layers. Um again, it's not wrong to go through this experience. It's not wrong to be angry. It's not r- it's completely normal and allowed and justified to feel fearful and angry and upset and all of those things. It's more a question of what do you do with it? And I get the question a lot of, okay, but if I'm practicing all these things and I'm trying to be the one who's being generous and curious and really wanting to understand someone else's perspective and they're not, what do I do with that? Yes. You, you can't really do anything because we can't with other people. All we can do is manage how we choose to show up and how we choose to interact. And in my experience, the more we are all practicing how we choose to show up, how we choose to react to other people, relate to other people, be empathetic, try to understand where they're coming from, the better reaction we're going to get.
0: Okay, yeah,
1: that That's makes my sense. my experience. The practice I try to go through is um, it was grounded in this um, model called the awareness wheel. There's different formats and versions of this that you might see. But to me, the practice is really about becoming more aware of your experience and owning it. So the idea is when you're having an emotional trigger, if you've gone up your ladder, ladder of inference, and you're having an emotional reaction to something, can you pause take a breath and check in with yourself. What's the data I'm paying attention to? How am I feeling? What am I thinking about that? What meaning about the situation? And what am I wanting for myself, for others, for us and our relationship? One of my tricks around practicing this is, can I articulate this to someone else without using the word you? Mm and removing any blame and judgment. Can I get really clean and clear on my experience? This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking about the situation. And this is what I'm wanting or needing. Now tell me where you're coming from. It's very disarming when you can own your own experience without blame and judgment.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, I've you know, just something I've tried have similar training and I've tried to practice. And I'm just thinking of a, an experience recently where I knew there was an upset in a, in a situation, um, with a friend. And I thought, Oh, let me, let me do this. Let me own my experience and, you know, take, not put in, put, you know, put any blame or anything only on myself and, you know, and, and own that and be very respectful. And it completely like blew up in my face. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what else to do. Like I, I quote unquote did all the right things, you know?
1: Yeah. So it was really frustrating. I get asked that question at work when people say, what if I do all of this and it really, and it doesn't go well and the other person's defensive. Well, now you're having a different experience.
2: Yeah. You're
1: having a new experience that just replaced the previous conversation, which is to observe. Wow. Um, I was just noticing your voice really went up. Um, you you seem really upset right now. I'm feeling a, a little taken aback and concerned because it seems like um, there's some defensiveness here in the conversation that we're that we're having. And I really just wanted to understand where you're coming from.
2: That's good. You're now
1: having a different experience. I work with a wonderful coach named Russ Hamilton, and he says, and I say this like it's easy.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not easy. What I ended up getting in that conversation was that there, there, there was not an interest in any kind of communication around feelings at all, and I was like, "All right, then, I guess that's. I just have to respect that. There's no opening."
1: Yeah, and I think to your point, you mentioned at the beginning feeling like you shy away sometimes mm-hmm. from conversation because of that fear, and that's where the trust comes in. If if I believe that someone is having a differing opinion from me and my belief about that person is they feel so strongly that they're actually not interested in a dialogue, then I just don't go there with them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I, and I, and it's kind of sad because like that person in particular, I'm now like, well, I'm not going to try that again because it's just going to go they're they're not open to hearing about it and it's and and it and and my hope was like oh this is going to help our relationship like get to a better deeper connect more connected place and I'm like no I guess never I guess we'll never be better friends you know
1: and it's just kind of sad Yeah. yeah yeah we uh we have to accept people for who they are Ugh, um, it's so hard
0: because as a writer, it's like we want to, we control everything about who these people are. And it's like, wait, I can't do that
2: in real life? Damn I want I want you to be better. Yeah.
1: I want you to be better. It's And part of what's driven me and my mission around this work is um, when I was still trying to figure out years ago what I wanted to be when I grew up, sometimes I still question that, um, the thought that came to me is I want to help people. And then I expanded on that and thought, you know, I want to help people be better. I want them to be the best. And I thought, no, I want them to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. I want to meet them where they are and help them understand what their gifts are and what their strengths are and what their challenges are and how can they figure out their path to be the best version of themselves that they can be not the version I want them to be,
0: mm.
1: but the, ber- the version they can
0: be. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause that's what I do with the writers I work with. And it's in fact, one of my writers just yeah. said that, that that's what she loves about me is that I meet them. I meet writers where they are. And I'm just like, Love I never that. thought about it that way, but yeah, it's like, I, I can't make you be a certain kind of writer, but I can help you be the best kind of writer you can be.
2: Yeah.
0: So what, what do you, do you uh, recommend we try? Do you have some exercises for us?
1: This really is the um, the practice that I find most helpful and most difficult and most helpful to get better at <laughs> is this idea of, can I own my experience? So I was going to give the group an activity okay. to practice this. So if you all think for a minute about something recent that you are struggling with or that really just frustrating you're upset about it Um, every time it comes up you just feel that emotional reaction that's Mm. really like our blood pressure going up our heart rate going up we feel that physiological emotional response to a situation so everybody just take a moment and think about one Probably not too hard to come up nope. with. And say, like, got it. Heightened, heightened stress and emotion that we're living in. <laughs>
0: it's like there's um, a bouquet of issues. Which one do I pick? Right, okay. Which
1: one do you pick? Don't it. don't make one too hard. Okay. Um, pick a simple one, and just take a minute and write down the first thing that comes to mind for you. How are you feeling about that situation? What are you thinking about it? And what do you want? Don't work okay. too hard at doing it perfectly. Just write down. Or just think in your head if you don't have anything to write with.
0: So can you say that again? What am I thinking about it?
1: Yep. What are you feeling? What are you thinking about it? And what are you wanting for yourself, for the other, for both of you, for your relationship? Okay. Okay. So take a minute and look at what you've written or just think about what you ask yourself. Is there any blame? How much judgment is in there? And is there blame in there? And what you've written or what you've been thinking about. So much. (laughs) Heidi's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) So much. (laughs) Which is so normal. Because this is just how we work as human beings. So look at what you've written or think about what you've been thinking about. And ask yourself, how can you remove that blame and judgment? And really just own what's happening for yourself. If it helps, remove the word you. And really make it about yourself and your experience. So do a redo.
0: I still have so much you in mind.
1: Mm. I worked with a woman many years ago who also taught this kind of work. And she wrote a letter to her mother. And I think she worked on the letter for a year Wow. She ended up having an amazing relationship with her mother, but they had some past stuff to work through. It took her a really long time to get the you out yeah. of there. Yeah. That's the well, practice. I it's mean, like,
0: it's, Yeah. Cause in, in mine, like I'll, I'll just share. Um, I have a friend who's, who's, um, dating somebody that I, um, don't think is that great for her. And I, you know, initially, like, what I wrote initially was that I'm, like, confused, like, how could you be with someone that treats you that way, and, like, you know, I, I want you to pick a better guy, like, that's what I was wanting, and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, and then when I did the redo, it's like, well, I'm feeling confused, like, why, but then again, it goes back to the you, why you would want to be with someone like that, and then um, what was underneath it is that I'm worried she'll be hurt. So it's still I'm still saying you, but it's like I'm worried she'll be hurt, and I'm worried she will be um like like I won't be able to reach her or help her or relate to her in some way, yeah like because i just I don't understand her experience, and so there's a, yeah. like you can see there's a lot of you still in there, but it's at least not right. it's not a judgmental you it's like i don't I don't want to lose you
1: yeah, and I think to that point. Sometimes you can't get 100% out of there because if it really is expressing something regarding someone else, I think the, but it's getting clean on it because I think, you know, your first draft may not have gone over as well.
2: Right. <laughs> but if you can really? get to that
1: deep down, right, if you can get to that deep down concern of, I really care about you and I just don't want you to get hurt. But, and the piece, I think once we've gone through our own experience of understanding that for ourselves, And then being able to articulate that for someone else, the next question is, help me understand your experience. Mm -hmm. I try to say, hey, I could be wrong. This is just where I'm coming from. This is my experience. This is what I'm feeling. I'm thinking. This is what I'm wanting out of the situation. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand what I'm missing.
0: I like that. It's, you know, in terms of like mapping it to, to character development or screenwriting, it's like, this is, you know, we understand why a character does a certain action, but then you look underneath it, like, but what's deeper underneath it? Why are they really doing it? And usually it's related to fear. It's, it's usually related to fear and it's usually, you know, not the outward armor, but the underlying, like, well, I'm just really scared that you'll, that you'll leave me. Or that you won't love me anymore. Or that like, so it all usually comes back to that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Fear, pain, shame, all those emotions, those more distressing emotions that are so normal for us to experience in our lives are often underlying this. It's mm-hmm. what's driving those emotional reactions. So if we can get a better understanding of what that's about for us and what that underlying issue is, it's, it comes across differently. It's really amazing to me, even as I observe people practice these skills, because when that, when that initial response comes out, it almost doesn't feel it's lacking vulnerability sometimes. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah, if we can dig deeper and come from that really authentic and vulnerable place of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling, man, people connect to that.
0: Yeah. It's exactly what uh, a couple of weeks ago we had Valerie Hager on talking about performances and effective theater, theatrical performances. And she was saying that's exactly it. Like you have to crack open your heart. That's what makes people connect. And that's what makes people then crack open their hearts and want to you know, be with you as a character on stage or as an actor, um, you know, or just as a human. So it makes sense. That's like, I'm not gonna connect with you if you have your armor on.
1: Right. Right. And if you're looking for answers outside of yourself and kind of pointing the finger at everyone else versus saying, like, okay, other people may have a part in what's going on for me, but I got to look at myself first
2: mm-hmm. and
1: really try to understand what's going on because that experience is valid. Right. Whatever it is. And your experience is also valid. If we're just going like this because of our experiences, instead of saying, hey, help me understand you and let me help you understand me. And let's just acknowledge that that's where we're at. Mm. That's a very different type of conversation.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's open it up at this point. Um, do, does anyone have questions or would anyone like to share? I have
3: a question. I I guess the thing that kept coming up for me is, and I've had this conversation with, um, or I guess this similar conversation with a lot of people, but um, where it affects me the most, obviously, is in my personal life, but um, it's the conversation of, I'm so good at work, how can I be such a great communicator at work, but then at home, you and I are such a mess, like why in our personal lives, separating the two experiences, because they are completely different, because when you're in a personal relationship, in an emotional relationship, with somebody versus somebody, um, you know, at work on a professional level where, you know, it might not affect you. Like, I guess, what is the separation between the two? How, when you're in those types of conversations, can you remove yourself from saying I'm so good over here? So therefore I'm, I'm, I'm the good one. And you're, you're, I I don't know if my question is making any sense. It looks like you kind of understand where I'm
1: coming from. Yeah, I do. I think, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, what I'm hearing in that is there are different, there's sort of different contexts of our life and how we show up in relationship and how we show up in communication might be different for those different contexts.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think your example that I'm hearing is specifically around work versus your personal lives is why am I showing up differently at work sometimes than when I'm showing up at home? Yeah. I do have a theory around that.
0: <laughs> I'm curious too, because that's something I've seen a lot uh, talked yeah. about online right now too, is because a lot of us are now working with our spouses also working and seeing a different side of them that we haven't seen. Because it's like, oh, that's the professional version of you. How come that's not right. the you that that you're so good at your job? You know, like right. it's, it's just it's kind of a funny like, Wait a minute. We communicate in different ways, and you start. You can see more clearly than you, we. I think we usually would yeah. the difference in skill level from home to work.
1: Hundred percent. I totally agree with that statement. My my theory around that is um, it comes back to again the idea of trust and the idea of risk in relationship. If we are in environments that are have higher risk. We are more likely to be on the ball and to practice our skills and be on our best behavior because there's higher risk. When we are at home with our families, with our loved ones, with the people who care about us no matter what, we, it's easy to let go of that a little bit and just relax into saying whatever comes out of your mouth because hopefully that person who loves you is not going anywhere. I'm pretty casual with my husband and they um, aren't as skillful sometimes as I could be when we're communicating <laughs> um, and vice versa. He just said what from downstairs
2: mm-hmm. and
1: probably vice versa, but that's because we know each other and we trust each other. And like, it's not, ri- it's not as risky. Right.
0: Or one assumes my husband assumes because he's not going to get
1: fired. With from each
0: be, from, yeah. The way he is at work. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Right. If I'm at work and I'm reacting all over the place and I'm yelling at people or I'm constantly, you know, being going up my ladder and being emotionally triggered and saying whatever comes out of my mouth and not communicating effectively, I could get fired. Right. I could lose my job. So and I care at work about how I show up because maybe I want to be promoted. I want to have a certain kind of impact at work. I'm being much more intentional about how I'm showing up because I'm required to,
0: we need to, we need to have the people in our personal lives act as if they are seeking promotions.
1: Yes, 100%. <laughs> that is, that is it. We've solved yeah, it. <laughs> so that's where, that's my theory is I think yeah. it really comes down to that risk in relationship and that, um, how we're, how we're wanting to show up in those contexts, you know? And when we're working all day at like being on top of it and professional and intentional and on the ball, it, it's exhausting. Yeah. And when we get home, we just kind of want to let it loose and just be like, Hey, you love me. Whatever goes, goes right. Yeah. We're cool. <laughs> Everything's fine.
0: Yeah. I was like, if I stub my toe, I'm going to yell and I'm going to swear and I'm going to expect that you help me do something about it. Whereas if I'm at work and I stub my toe, no one shall know. <laughs> it's right. Like like, I shall internalize that pain and I shall not react or scream in any way. Like, you know, because I don't want right. to be seen as the idiot that stubbed their toe. Or if you react a
1: little bit, it's like, no, no, everything's fine. Everything's, everything's fine. fine. I have it under control. Okay. Everything's fine.
0: <laughs> as mom would have said, suck it up. Actually, Shannon, did, were you going to ask anything? I know you kind of piped in and I didn't know if you wanted to ask anything.
2: I was actually thinking of it from the other way. So it was interesting how Ashley brought up the difference between what happens at home, how you show up at home, and how you show up at work. And I'm thinking the other way in terms of how do we allow some of that vulnerability and authenticity that we need in order to effectively communicate at work when we're conditioned to not be vulnerable at work. And we just Mm -hmm. talked about stubbing our toe. And it reminds me, I've been a remote worker for years now. And I, you know, my husband's home now works with me and he hears me yelling all the time. Like, I'm just, yeah, I just yell and talk to myself all day. And he's like, how would you ever act in an office? I mean, I didn't do that in the office and I'm not proposing we all run around acting like a crazy person, but where is the opportunity to sort of flex more of that vulnerability and authenticity and work Mm. so that we can have difficult conversations or have effective communication, but at that more human level. So I'd love yeah. to get
1: your insight on that, Heidi. Yeah, I think that that, that that's an interesting, um, I think that's an interesting dilemma is how do we bring more of that intentional behavior from the workplace home <laughs> and into our personal lives? And how do we bring some of that messiness and less put together selves into the workplace? And it's, My personal experience with that is I've gotten a lot of feedback over the years that I'm very calm and cool and collected all the time. And I'm like, really? Because inside I'm throwing a tantrum and curled up in a ball. And it it was really interesting for me to think about the fact that people weren't seeing any of that internal experience where I was Mm -hmm. struggling. Even just in the last week or two, somebody said to me, oh, but you're always so put together and you're so this and that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not. (laughs) I'm really, I'm really not. But isn't that interesting that I'm not conveying that?
2: Yeah.
0: You must be processing because I've always known you to be calm, cool, and collected.
1: Oh yeah. I'm totally not. Um, (laughs) In a lot of ways. So the idea is how can I be more authentic sharing more of that? without putting it on other people? Mm -hmm. Is there a way that I can be more transparent about how I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing and when I'm struggling so that I can be vulnerable? Because I do think that's a key quality of leaders, of people in organizations, and we need to allow space for that because we're human.
0: Well, I think Shannon brings up a really interesting point because like, I know I can think of at least one incident or you know instance in my life where i've tried in a professional setting to share more and it got used against me. So yep. it's like okay well how when do we how do we judge when it's safe to be more authentic and to and to share yeah. feelings in a way that is accepted by management. My answer is well you just become management. I <laughs>
1: work for yourself challenges yeah yeah (laughs) work for yourself yeah that's a good idea um I yeah it comes down to again how safe am I in that environment is there trust in that environment if you if there is safety and there is trust it's easier to push that boundary a little bit and test the waters a little bit of how do I bring more of that authentic self to work um But if it's not a safe environment and it's not, you know, I've certainly worked in environments where I did not feel any emotional safety (laughs) or Mm -hmm. support. Mm -hmm. And so I was just a buttoned up professional and I went in did my job and went home and that was all there was to it.
0: Yeah. Which, you know, sometimes can be good because you know yourself to be proficient at something and sometimes can be soul crushing. So,
1: yeah, right. And I think that holds for relationships, too. If there's Mm -hmm. safety and trust in relationship it's easier for us to be vulnerable and show more of ourselves if there's not then can we accept a more surface level relationship and is that is that fulfilling enough for us to continue that or is that not a relationship that we want to invest time time into how do we create some space for ourselves to be more mindful of what we're experiencing and own that experience um, the blame it, the other pe- the other people who may have a part in our experience, sure, that's real and that exists, and that could be impacting our experience. But can I start with just being more in tune with myself? Is Can I practice sharing those my feelings and my um, without blame judgment, and then be curious and open, genuinely curious and open to the other person's experience? Um, and can I practice like taking a breath and really listening and trying to understand someone else's perspective, especially when I really disagree <laughs> um, with hearing where they're coming from. Yeah. And, and that's all we can do. Um, again, this wonderful coach Russ Hamilton I worked with before says all we can control is our offer and our invitation. Mm. I like that. And I, I like the language of all, all we can control is how we choose to show up in relationships. And I think being intentional about who do I want to be in the world? How do I want people to experience me? What is that impact that I want to have? And can I be intentional about how I show up? Sometimes it's going to be messy, but it's just about making that choice. And I think the more aware we can be of our experience, the better able we are to make the choice of how we show up.
0: I think that's practice. a great point to end on. Yeah. It
1: takes practice. No one's yeah. perfect.
0: Yeah. And that, that, the last one, I think is like the highest degree of difficulty and the one that's probably the most rewarding, the yeah. more you get it, not get it right, but at least have some degree of efficacy with
1: it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much, everyone for joining us. And Heidi, thank you. I really, um, I was fun talking to you and I'm glad yeah. you I'm glad, I'm glad I have you.
1: Me too. The Heidi's, we stick together. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. It was great.
0: Next time on Hearthside Salons, in keeping with this week's theme of improved understanding of self, we have mental performance consultant and historian Rob Latimer with a talk called Hunter-Gatherer-Accountant-Nurse, The Psychology of Stress and Mental Performance in the Modern World. We'll talk about how we deal with stress the way we do and why, and how we can do better. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept-to-pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, check out PageCraftWriting.com, at PageCraftWriting on Instagram, and at PageCraftWrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from PageCraft. Thanks for listening, and stay well.